passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Rewind a Dynamite is live in your ears, in front of your eyes. I am John Pollock alongside waiting moments after AEW Dynamite. Two hours and two minutes of dynamite from Edmonton. Yeah, moments is right. And I um I don't I don't know if like I was just, you know, so behind on my like buffer that I usually have like when when I'm watching these shows or what, but man, it feels like we have less and less time to like you don't rush on onto this broadcast. We do. This, this was the second week in a row that they went 2 minutes over. And as we saw last week, those 2 minutes they they had a, a big jump and they continued it this week, and I would not be surprised if this becomes the pattern of going two minutes over. Awesome. Great. Well, what's two more minutes? I mean, we already have two extra hours. You know, come on. G- yes. Give me give me t- t- 20 more minutes of an overrun. Give them time, Way. Give them time. They're now into the uh, the interest of giving more is more. That is that is going to be the uh, the slogan here. But we will have lots of dynamite to discuss from Edmonton, Alberta, a much livelier crowd than Hamilton. With all due respect to our fellow Ontarians, it was uh, Edmonton. Uh, they showed up and sounded loud on Wednesday night. So that that's a good thing. How many of those people realized when they bought this ticket and sat in their seat at Rogers Place that they were going to be given the option to sit through Rampage 100? I I don't know if that was advertised. So. I I don't think anyone was aware until Excalibur announced that it's Rampage 100 this Friday. I'd be curious if that's any sort of attraction for people. 
or if it's not. Well, we're going to find out on Friday. Can they top uh, last week's number, which was a very good rampage number? We will find out. Not a great collision number, though. I mean, they did just announce, you know, the, the card for Rampage 100. So that's ultimately going to be the big factor. Our, I mean, and they have a big match here. You know, Home Bucks versus the Dark Order that the show directly leads to. You're right. It's it's a notable match for Rampage. I mm-hmm. would, again, you are going to get from the AEW side that all of our shows are important. And there's no, of course, throwing in the towel. But I would say... That if the Young Bucks and Hangman were teaming up and they were wrestling on TV this week, other than the obvious, it should be on collision. Should mm-hmm. it not? Like this is mm-hmm. this is the biggest thing we have going right now. And for obvious reasons, that's not happening. But just for a business reason, should we be putting a Young Bucks match on Rampage on Friday night versus the show that we absolutely need to rebound from last week from? Maybe there's an argument that could be made that Punk versus Joe is enough of of that sort of hook. And, you you know, you still want to make sure that all your ships are floating and and Rampage does need something that is also attractive. Well, last week, Rampage did not need much and it it did just fine. Then why do you need the I mean, uh, is that an aberration or or is it something that you could depend on, you know? We're going to find out, but Rampage is sort of, it's set in its ways. Like Rampage is not going to make some big renaissance where it's going to all of a sudden, um, you know, add a third of its audience and be up 30% over the summer. Like Rampage is not the show that we are hoping will become right below dynamite, if not dynamite level. Collision is. So I would be putting a lot of my resources into collision. But again, it's, it more so just points out this idea that we're not going to have crossover here between these two parties and we have these like separate factions but this is one case where you can make the argument yes it does it does affect business in a certain way because if this is all hands on deck then i would be booking that match on collision and not on rampage because rampage is it is what it is it is already baked into whatever they're going to get in their next round of negotiations whereas collision like this is the big carrot that is being dangled are we looking at another dynamite or are we looking at another rampage? And this is a critical time period. The jury's out on collision, but it was a concerning number last week in week three. And hopefully like this Saturday will be that that is the bottoming out number from this past week. You would think they're up this week in Regina. You would hope so. You know, I mean, we'll talk about maybe what, uh, how we felt about the promotion for Joe versus Punk, but that really is the thing that I think the show is, is kind of, you know, um, putting its, its hopes on all built um, around that. Yeah, last week that particular collision really had no nothing big, uh, you know. Previously, it was the Owen ever. tournament. If you were interested in the tournament, that was it. Yeah, and if talking- you and if you tuned in on Dynamite and weren't paying attention to stuff online, like you weren't even told Punk was going to be on the show in any form or fashion. So mm-hmm. they didn't tell you any of that last Wednesday. You're talking also about probably a good chunk of the audience that had probably watched Money in the Bank that afternoon or was maybe saving it for the evening to watch it. And, you know, in, by comparison, a punkless collision, at least according to what was announced, did not seem as important for people's viewing. Well, we'll talk about how effectively they promoted collision and the Joe Punk match that is coming up on Saturday's show. Want to make some mentions of uh, stuff on the site this week. We have a ton of uh, great shows to check out uh, today. Braden and Davey dropping the latest edition of Up Next going over NXT from Tuesday night. And we have uh, joining us on Pollock and Thurston. We had uh, about an hour long chat with Chris Hero 
of uh, West Coast Pro. They have a show coming up this Saturday night on independentwrestling.tv with their cool summer event. And uh, Chris is just, um, it was just great to talk about so many different subjects. He's very open about all of his experiences. This is a 25-year veteran and someone whose opinion I think people hold very high in the wrestling community. And he was... uh, Seem to have a great time coming on the show and chatting with us. So if you want to go check this out about, you know, his time in WWE coming up in IWA Mid-South and just all the different experiences that he has had. Uh, we tried to cover as much as we could, but it was just scratching the surface with Chris on the show. But I enjoyed the interview a lot. Somebody I hope um, who never enters the wrestling TV reviewing game because um, his analytical mind would put all of us out of work. He 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 is a fantastic you know interview to listen to, and I thought you guys did a great job. I could have listened to him speak for you know another three hours and two minutes. We would have done an overrun for sure for for Chris. So yeah, uh, yeah he was very generous with this time. When I asked him to come on, I said, uh, you know, twenty twenty five minutes we'll we'll shoot for, and by, uh, ten minutes in, I knew okay, we we sh- we should go a bit longer here because this is going to be great. So um, yeah, so you can check that out on uh, both the post wrestling and WrestleNomics feeds. We also. Uh, we'll have, um, momentarily our review of New Japan Strong's Independence Day cards from Bruce Lord and Karen Peterson. That is up for post wrestling cafe members. And my goodness, wait, this graphic is, uh, beautiful. Look at this. This is patriotic if, if there ever was one. Uh, red, white, and blue, of course. You know, what better way to celebrate Independence Day than with skewers in your forehead? Um, mm-hmm. I had a chance to watch a, a bunch of the matches off of this show and, We'll, we'll chat about them, yeah, because I, I I saw a handful between the two days as well. Yeah, I'll I'll just say um they were asking people to pay thirty bucks for this and for both both nights together, mm-hmm. so fifteen dollars a show, and I felt it was a well worth it amount. Like I thought you had some really good quality stuff on these shows, so I can't wait to hear Karen and Bruce's thoughts on it. So that is up now uh, for cafe members and on the post wrestling cafe. We also have rewind away. Catching up with Supercard of Honor 2013, Kevin Steen versus Jay Briscoe in the midst of ROH versus Scum and the battle for control of ROH. And this gives us a, a, it is a good companion to the show we just did on uh, Best in the World from 2011 when Sinclair had just bought the company. Now we're almost two years into the Sinclair era. Where are things? What is the identity of ROH? It's certainly no longer the ROH of old, and it would not be the ROH that would be kind of its second big wave of popularity years later when the Bucks and Cody were involved. So this is sort of looking at what is ROH in 2013 amidst uh, iPay-Per-View issues and a major title change that is fondly remembered and lots more from the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City in 2013. Yeah, a show that you and I had actually attended. So, um, not that we have much like, you know, personal like anecdotes of the evening because we, you and I had probably forgotten almost everything from, from that point on. But, um, nonetheless, we do remember certain things about that particular trip and being in the Hammerstein ballroom slash the Manhattan Center. So we do spend a lot of time talking about our experiences as well. We spend quite a bit of time talking about Joe versus Punk as well in their connection to ROH's history. And John Pollock debuted on this particular podcast his Tony Khan impression. So I urge everybody to just simply download the show for that reason. Postwrestlingcafe.com, video.postwrestling.com. And finally, Friday night, 
waiting gets a much deserved night off. So I will get to do a rare show with Andrew Thompson as we will be doing rewind to SmackDown covering the show from Madison Square Garden. Uh, we will be, we will just be doing SmackDown on Friday. So Rampage 100, uh, perhaps, uh, John Ceno and Kate from Montreal can touch on that if, if they watch it by collision course time, which will be dropping on the cafe this weekend. So lots to check out as always at postwrestling.com and postwrestlingcafe.com which is where we are for the rest of the week into the weekend and video.postwrestling.com to keep up on our latest stylings and getting a look at our profiles don't forget mcu later drop in tomorrow i was just about to say my favorite show that i'm consuming on disney plus secret invasion (laughs) you had to think think about the name for a second didn't you all right when will you be back on MCU later? Are you following Secret Invasion? I'm have, honestly having a, a really tough time even keeping up with like anything but wrestling at the moment. So it, part of the reason why you know I'm I'm not joining them this this season, but you know I'll I'll, I'll await the call. I'll wait I'll wait the signal from WH and Rich. Well, uh, we you'll probably get some some time to catch up when the G1 starts next week as well. So we have that yes. to look forward to as well. So all that uh, beginning, our G1 pool, it is open, postwrestling.com slash G1, free to enter. So join in now, get your picks in before July 15th when the tournament begins. And uh, there you go. A big thank you to Chris Engler for always being our administrator of the G1 Climax pool. And we will be keeping everyone, uh, the tallies going throughout the tournament with updates uh, on the standings and such and how people perform uh, with their picks. Can you beat? Randobot? Can you Always. beat me? Can you beat Randobot might be in. There's there's been some some good booking this year from New Japan. So Randobot might be in for some uh a tough tournament. We're gonna find out. Or maybe this is tailor made for him or her. We've never identified the gender of Randobot. Uh yeah, probably. Uh, we'll have to ask. Okay. Let's move on to news and notes. Uh, so Brandon and I did talk about the collision number, but I did want to get some of your reaction way. So they did 452,000 viewers and a 0.13 in the demo. That was down 24% in viewers from week two and 37% decline in the 18 to thir- uh, in the 18 to 49 number. 18 to 34 was even more concerning because it was down 59% from week two and males 18 to 34 down 82% from the second week and this was less men, 18 to 34, than Rampage, than Dynamite. It was a thousand more than Dark Side of the Ring did for the Junkyard Dog episode. So it was a very low number with men, 18 to 34, and tells you when there is a show that does not feel noteworthy, um, this is an audience that is going to suffer greatly. But th- I mean, everything was down from week number two. Do you look at this as a concerning number or are you looking at this as, you know, this was one that for, for better or worse, this was one we could also see going into Saturday that it's not like this felt like a big show and gave a disappointing number. It felt like a show that lacked a lot of buzz and the number backed that theory up. I think I would be more so concerned about the lack of um, effort put into generating that buzz that by i mean you're not even a month into this this thing and you should be putting every effort into every single one of these shows at least for the first month just to get people to establish a habit they had it easy this saturday when they didn't have to go head to head with the wwe pay-per-view that's not going to be the case once a month for these saturday shows so you know at least once a month people are going to break their habits to not watch this thing anyway um this is the time to really establish yourself and to make every episode feel must see and they did not do that whatsoever with that lineup 
it's very different for this one because this one to me does feel very must see because of just, you know, my own personal interest of punk versus Joe. But, you know, is that going to extend to, to the general audience that I'm not necessarily sure about? But still, um, this was one of all the things that, you know, were, were, were being promoted for professional wrestling last week that did not feel all that important, unfortunately. So it's not that surprising to me. But I'm what I am surprised about is the lack of effort in making it feel special. Yeah, this is one where, I mean, you can look at, you know, it was, you know, the the long weekend. It was a Saturday night. But to me, it's it's factors that affected SmackDown, even SmackDown being taped as well on Friday, not not two days in advance, but it still was tape delayed. And you if you wanted to read spoilers, you could for SmackDown. And to me, this was more indicative of a very hot show on Friday and a rather cold show on on Saturday. And you can come up with you know, th- different reasons that this would have been affected. But I think you could go to people on Friday and what's your sense of what collision was going to do. I don't know if you're predicting this level of a drop off, but I don't think anyone was expecting it to grow over week three. And it was just going to be a case of how much was it down from week two, because it did not have that urgency. And to get this show up and running, it has to have that urgent feel. This was the first week where this did feel like a show that if you catch it, great. If not, it's, it's not the end of the world. And for many people, this show revolves around punk. And this was a week where punk's involvement on commentary. It was not going to be um, plan altering. If you're a punk fan to tune into this, doesn't it make you concerned for, you know, for a week where punk might not be there for whatever reason, if, if, you know, like God forbid the guy gets injured again or whatever happens and it takes him off the road. You know, what, what else is this? Oh, these are all, this is a show that cannot, forever exist off of punk like punk is there to get this show up and running but it cannot just be the cm punk show that's it's too much to ask of any one person to carry a show this week much less a guy who yes has the injury history is 44 he can't be wrestling every week on this show you are going to need weeks where he's either on commentary or he's off like that's going to happen uh with his schedule and other commitments he's got outside of wrestling so yeah it, it does make you question like this show without a punk, what is that going to mean if if they ran into a problem where he's he he is out? For it would mean months. they'd be taking people from Dynamite to put on Collision. Well, they, they would have to. They would they would have to. But I mean, even that, it's this Collision project is going to like by by the fall, we're going to know what the appetite is for two more hours of AEW program. on a Saturday. On a Saturday, and yeah. the fall is going to be that much more competitive for them. This is this is training wheels for Collision this summer to get a hot product going and making it must see. Again, you don't want to be the sky is falling after three weeks. We need to have a longer um, look at things, and I, I do feel they will be up this Saturday. If they if they drop again, I think that would be very concerning. That would tell me that it's it's just too much. AEW for people that even a marquee match is not going to draw them in. What would you like drop drop from the week prior or drop from this number? Because I have from to, this number. A drop there, from this number. There's no way. Really, I mean, it's possible, of course, but it's really hard for me to like that. To me, would be where you would panic, you know. Having well, a, a marquee that's what I'm punk saying. Match? That's what I'm saying. I'm not predicting that. I'm stating if, right. if that were to happen, it would be then it would be a, a, a larger issue of people skipping out on week three and realizing, you know what, I. It's the summer. I have a Saturday off. I'm I'm not staying in to watch wrestling. Right. So um, they are going to be up against the UFC 290 prelims, but not the pay-per-view itself. So it's 
It is the International Fight Week card, which is typically one of the big ones of the year. But I wouldn't say this is not a blockbuster show that they're up against that. It's, you know, it's more than they were up against last week with a week fight night card. But um, it's going to be, I believe, Major League Baseball prelims. And I don't know if there's anything else of note going up against Collision this Saturday. But uh, Regina, we will see what the what the number is that finally shows up for Collision. Independence Day cards from New Japan Strong. So we, we won't go through all of this, and I have not seen all the shows, but I saw uh, several things. So the, the key title changes on the first night, we had Alex Coughlin and Gabe Kidd winning the Strong Openweight Tag Titles from Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. Drilla Maloney and Clark Connors winning the Junior Heavyweight Tag Titles from TJP and Francesco Akira. And in the main event, this I did see, El Desperado and June Kasai over John Moxley and Homicide. 18 and a half minutes. This was utter chaos for 18 minutes and 34 seconds. This crowd was so hot for all four of these guys. And when June Kasai came out, man, like this was a crowd. They just, they wanted to see violence. They got violence. They brawled throughout the crowd. This is maybe the most lively I've heard Cora Q and Hall since uh, pre-pandemic. Like they were just on their feet going crazy for this match well in many ways it did not feel like a typical new japan pro wrestling crowd and this show did not feel like a typical new japan pro wrestling show you know under the new japan strong banner i suppose they have a lot more freedom obviously to bring in a lot you know a lot of their strong talent but also seemingly freedom to book styles of guys from freedoms (laughs) exactly there you go yes Uh, the freedom to do something you would never see in a new japan pro wrestling proper show a death match and not just, you know, like, I don't know, like, a like, I don't know, a few table spots here and there. You don't get more authentic death match than this is a, a really a well done match. death match. Like, again, the, these aren't my things, but I can absolutely appreciate when it's done really effectively. And this was done really effectively. And I thought all four were great in this for their individual roles there is i mean again it's not for everybody i certainly don't expect everybody to enjoy something like this but when it's done well and when when it's done with heart there is true artistry and brilliance in this style of professional wrestling i got i thought i felt you got to see a great example of it and this is what was advertised like this is what was promised to you so it's it's really hard to complain when they deliver on something like this i i was with you i just thought this was so uh well done this crowd was just they were so into this as well and i just thought you know watching june kasai at at his age just um (laughs) i mean he was just a superstar to this audience as well and I mean, Desperado is someone that just, he has such a great chemistry with, with Moxley. Like the two of them from last year in, in Nashville and then the follow-ups uh, on both of these nights continued that. And Desperado and Kasai themselves, you know, having uh, for many people one, one of the matches of the year last year. You know, you, you um, they, they very much kind of built off of the, the history between the two of them. This time they're pairing together, going up against John Moxley and a homicide. And beyond just the, the match itself, and, and Moxley, obviously, you know, he grew up, in, you know, working this sort of style on, on the independence. And, and you got to see the full expression of it here in, you know, what must have been. I don't know if they've like met in the ring before Moxley and Kasai, but I'm sure for him it was very much a dream pairing. He got on the microphone to talk about what it meant for him because, you know, Jun Kasai was Danny Havoc's um idol uh somebody he he really looked up to and and you know danny havoc of course passed away recently and so for moxley it felt like he was kind of in the ring with with havoc with kasai so beyond that just like the the, the idea of doing this in cora q and hall 
you can tell for somebody like a Moxley and especially for somebody like an Eddie Kingston meant a whole lot for them personally. Oh my God. Hey, Kingston, like this was a religious experience for him, this trip to Japan. We'll get into mm-hmm. that just from the first night. Um, two other matches I saw that I just wanted to point out Tom Lawler and Kosei Fujita. This was like an excellent nine minute match. This is, this was among the best Tom Lawler matches I've seen. And it was certainly maybe the best Kosei Fujita match I have seen. These two were terrific together. Lawler was in like the, the Don Fry American flag trunks for, for the match. And I mean, just his, his striking so much of the match. It was about Tom Lawler using Zach's offense on Fujita who's part of TMDK to send a message to Zack Sabre Jr. Like with the PKs and the different submissions that he was using. And I mean, this was just for a fun nine minute sprint of great strikes and like Fujita. I mean, this was a real uh, level up match for him as well. So I would certainly recommend checking that one out. And then Willow Nightingale and Momo Kogo over Julia and Thecla. This was to set up Willow and Julia for today's show. Uh, but man, the takeaway for me, Willow Nightingale and Thecla were like two, two styles that were just made for one another. I mean, just with the, the size discrepancy, Thecla just bounced around for her and it was just, um, just a tremendous, uh, playing off of one another with Willow Nightingale and, uh, Thecla. It just, everything gelled with them. And this obviously led to the title match, uh, the next day that we can get into. So, um, those were a handful of the matches that I saw from the first show, but everything I saw was, it, it was a great crowd. I really enjoyed the commentary of Ian Riccoboni and Chris Charlton, uh, together, uh, with, with the two of them. Um, so yeah, for, to your point, like I know some people are that are subscribers to New Japan world. They get a little irked when there's a pay per view component to it, but for these two shows for the 30 bucks, uh, of what I saw, it, it seemed like this was, um, they certainly gave you two high quality shows i think it's annoying you know like that when you're paying for a subscription service to have to pay mm-hmm. something that's for something that's outside of it i, I it's not on top of it you know to, to my belief that this is essentially something separate that you you pay for which is what strong has always been you know like you either on fight or or now on new japan world itself it's kind of annoying especially when people like might not be using their new japan world accounts as much anyway um but this was a good quality show and i think people will pay for quality and then today's show, and both of these shows had over 1,400 fans in attendance. Uh, we had John Moxley winning the final death match against El Desperado. I have not seen this match yet. Did you get to see the main event? Yeah, I did. It, you know, whereas the first night was just like kind of crazy, boom, 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 like more of like your kind of like spot fest. I thought tonight, to- like, sorry, uh, the, the one from today, the mm-hmm. final death match told much more of a story. And the story was basically like Moxley beating the shit out of El Desperado all throughout the entire arena, doing everything he could. And I think El Desperado is just like, I mean, obviously, you know, for a hometown home promotion, quote unquote, you know, guy, like he's a wonderful baby face to go up against these sort of like hardcore icons. Um, and it's, it was just really a, a story about his survival. And Moxley is really just, he's amazing, man. Like, like just to consider the amount of variation that, that this guy does, you know, the amount that this guy has achieved in his career. Like this is a guy who's like, you know, had, had WrestleMania matches, several of them. Um, 
has a family at home and still chooses to like fly over to Japan to have matches like these back on back to back nights. The dude did skewer spots back to back back nights. It's, it's insane. It, it was a fantastic main event. Um, I, I would say much more kind of like story driven than the first night. Eddie Kingston beat Kenta to win the strong open weight championship with the Northern lights bomb. And you have never seen somebody put over a championship win through their emotions more than Eddie Kingston. I mean, this was him like this. I I don't imagine he could have been more moved had he won the triple crown, maybe the triple crown. (laughs) Yeah. I think that'd be another level for him, but my God, he was like in tears winning this. He's hugging homicide at ringside, which was just such a cool moment. And then if you have not seen this backstage, uh, this backstage promo, which I mean, it was just this man just, emptying his heart of what this meant uh, from a young child who was getting into trouble that found wrestling and now wins this championship. I mean, this was uh, probably the, the highlight of either night, just in terms of uh, just a, a feel good moment for Eddie Kingston, who will now go into the G1 as the strong open weight champion. And I mean, th- this title, I mean, it just takes on that much more significance with this guy winning it and treating it as just what an accomplishment. And it does tell you with the plethora of titles that are out there that what it when, when you can convey this, I mean, it tells your audience like how much the title means. Yeah, I, I do th- though feel like he could have won, you know, the King of Pro Wrestling trophy, and he would have probably still <laughs> cried in, in this setting. I mean, I, just to kind of put things into context, you know, here was Eddie Kingston in Korakuen Hall facing Kenta, you know, somebody who was a part of that All Japan Pro Wrestling dojo system, yeah. like a direct, you know, sort of like um, a descendant of of the Four Pillars, and 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 beating him putting on you know like his uh very much you know um a, a japanese legend inspired moveset and getting that moment inside korakuen hall in itself is probably way more than he ever uh, thought he would he would he would ever get in his career so you saw the emotion on his face especially immediately after he won he had a wonderful embrace with homicide who clearly recognized what this meant for his friend as well it was a wonderful moment and the last um, title change to note is Julia winning the strong women's title from Willow Nightingale, 13 and a half minutes, also winning with a Northern Lights bomb. And uh, I did see this match and uh, they they had a very good match together, but it does feel as though this was sort of correcting where things were going to go. And Julia gets the title and opens up her to come to the U.S. to defend the title on future strong shows. And and we'll see if they revisit um willow or at some point having a mercedes match with with julia that now becomes a reality mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it really makes you wonder you know if mercedes actually won the match uh, according to plan would we have had mercedes versus julia or would that match have taken place um would it have been a forbidden door would it have been you know something that they would have saved for a show like this i don't know but you know i do know that they had a wonderful person in the ring with Mercedes to be able to fulfill that role in the meantime in Willow Nightingale. Um, I think she, she, she was fantastic. Um, not just in the match, but like in this match as well, somebody who, you know, was not supposed to be there, but felt every bit the champion that could be there, like should be there really. Um, and I thought they had a great match together, you know, hard hitting. I, I kind of, I'm looking forward to like stateside appearances from Julia. if That's what this means. 
So th- two very good shows from the, the the matches that I did get to see. Um, and again, the crowds were great on on both nights. So those are out there. They also stated on the show that Wrestle Kingdom 18 is confirmed for January 4th. Um, that is not breaking news. But the fact that they are just promoting one night at the Tokyo Dome would suggest they are not reverting back to the two nights. They went back to one this past year. Um, we, we have seen the... The extension of Wrestle Kingdom later in the month, but in terms of Tokyo Dome, I think one night is the way to go, even though financially for them, I mean, that was a big savior for them in 2020. The fact they had two nights at, at the Dome uh, t- to do, it's just, it, you're looking at, okay, what could we cash in on two nights versus a product that is watered down and does that kind of hurt the brand to have and the perception of kind of two weaker shows versus one very strong night at the Tokyo Dome. And they did about 26,000 just over that for this past year. So they're they're still trying to rebuild to where they were pre-pandemic when it comes to the Tokyo Dome. It's an interesting uh, business decision because you figure like they they would have more incentive to do a two night event now that they have a full roster, more than full roster when you consider, you know, their partnerships with other promotions. Um, but deciding to stick to one night and having maybe, you know, an, a more of an all killer, no filler mentality, I, I'm sure it will, it will result for a better show. So, you know, let's see what they have. A few notes coming out of NXT on Tuesday. This was the tape show. We had uh, Braun Breaker and Ilya Dragunov closing the show. So that looks to be the uh, the next match for Breaker. And th- they're certainly going with the idea of Braun Breaker winding things down in NXT. Like he's done everything. And now it's this match with Ilya Dragunov. That's kind of the uh, the last big challenge for him. The Dyad beat the Creeds. Uh, this was actually, a, I thought the Creeds were excellent in this match. Uh, I mean, Brutus. This guy did a springboard 450 in this match. Um, Julius is, uh, continues to be like these two just continue to improve. Uh, but the way that this match was, um, laid out, you would certainly get the suggestion that they are getting, uh, the, the movement to the main roster. And, you know, whether, whether you feel they're, they're ready, if they could have used more time in NXT, it seems like they are going to be thrown into, into that deep end to see if they can make the move up to the main roster, unless they, they have some, wacky idea here for the creeds maybe they'll come back as uh under masks um i feel like we have enough of those yeah um they're an interesting one because like i think they're still incredibly like uh developing i should say you know when it comes to promos and the main roster is is a place where i think that sort of skill is emphasized um i definitely would pair them with somebody but who i'd love i'd love chad gable to have like a unit with it with these guys okay Um, that that wouldn't be the worst, but it they would have to kind of overcome maybe more of a comedy thing. But sure. yeah, I I mean, it's interesting with Alpha Academy because they are still sort of in a role, but they are trying to get I don't want to say serious with them, but less of like they're less of the punchline. I mean, <laughs> the whole match was built around Maxine's like you know arm drags and her caterpillars but they're the baby faces now like they are not just like the butt of the joke now but right yeah Yeah. anyway it's they're they're an interesting tag team to watch because i think everyone sees the potential of these two especially julius um down the road um and then we had the nxt underground match with eddie thorpe over damon kemp um which i thought was really well done like this Mm -hmm. was uh a very entertaining um, version of the underground concept. This was taped last week. And then after they had this match where Thorpe won, uh, you had Gable Stevenson come in and just suplex all these dudes all over the place. And it was 
really a spotlight for Gable Stevenson going off the the air at the end. Well, this was in the middle of the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, I I I really feel like NXT has been a good place to like try out new match types to you know just to, to maybe in some ways correct um ideas that might have had a bit of um hope attached to them but maybe for whatever reason weren't that well executed the first time and underground seems like one of those i mean this felt nothing more than like i think more of a serious version of um what they were doing before and therefore it kind of basically was blood sport wasn't it you know in, in essence i mean uh, no rope thing with a live audience this time a slicker like, version of blood sport like with the wwe yeah. bells and whistles but it, it was yeah like i i thought man they were like Damon Kemp, this was a great performance by him. And, you know, Eddie Thorpe, he's like a really talented guy. And I think that they found, I thought this worked. I mean, it worked so much better than the raw underground versions that were just so campy in presentation. You could have used Shane, you know, screaming all in the background. Where was Omos to um, let people in, into the, into the door? Yeah. So that was NXT. And a final thing here is just looking ahead to uh, UFC uh, it's International Fight Week, so they have their Hall of Fame ceremony on Thursday night, and those going in this year in the Pioneer Wing are Anderson Silva and Jens Palver. In the Modern Wing, Jose Aldo and Donald Cerrone, and in the Fight Wing, Robbie Lawler against Rory McDonald from UFC 189. So this is quite a, a stacked Hall of Fame class that they have between uh, Aldo and Silva that would easily be consensus among the best fighters of all time. Lawler and McDonald is a legendary fight in UFC history and one that did um, tons of damage to both individuals. And this is actually going to be, this coincides with Robbie Lawler getting this award on Thursday and his retirement fight is Saturday at UFC 290. He's retiring at the age of 41 and he has been through some wars. This guy's first fight was in April of 2001. Okay. His career began before Julia Hart was born. Um, yeah, that's, that's how we know something's pretty old. Yeah. So yes, <laughs> you, you were at the Robbie Lawler, Roy McDonald fight. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was working backstage, so, you know, you probably has had as good of a view of it as I did, but I, I, mean, I was not at this event. I was supposed to go cover it and it was my best friend's wedding. Um, and I was in the wedding party and it was one I, I had to turn the trip down. So I did, I did not go to that show. That was the Conor McGregor, Chad Mendes card. Uh, I'm going to take your word for it. Cause I, I was, I was knee deep in like, you know, editing at that point. Way's a professional. He's not, he's not here for, you know, entertainment. Yeah. He's, he's there to work, but, but this is quite the class, you know, like speaking as maybe a, you know, a lapsed fan of, of, of uh, MMA and the UFC. I mean, everybody listed here, um, feels like a big name to me. So, yeah. I mean, Jens Palver is one that I, I think his speech, like if you have never read his book or know his story, like this guy had a, like you hear of people that talk about like tough upbringings. It's, it's one of the most horrific stories of just, uh, you know, being beaten as a child and just amazing that this guy came out of it, um, on the other end. So I think he'll have a very, very emotional speech. And he was a fighter that like when I was first getting into MMA was one of my favorite fighters and watching him against BJ Penn. And this was a guy that certainly, I mean, he to me was not. He's not the class of fighter that an Anderson Silva or a Jose Aldo is, but he was one of like the the key guys when UFC was trying to get that lightweight division up and running, and they eventually shelved the lightweight division because Pulver ended up leaving, and 
it was sort of just this weight class that didn't exist for years. But then he came back. He did Ultimate Fighter with BJ Penn. And he was involved in a real big fight in getting the WEC over with Uriah Faber in 2008. So, you know, he has had his contributions for sure in MMA as well. But in terms of a speech, I'm most looking forward to his speech. As great a fighter as he is, uh, Robbie Lawler, not not the most vocal individual. So I... I don't He's my favorite to- dude. Are you kidding me? Like his anti-charisma is like the best. So I'm I'm expecting him to just like go up no smiles and just like this guy everybody. Like it's it's the best. Thanks. This is great. Bye. Like seriously, if he gave a one-sentence acceptance speech, would not surprise me at all. And Roy McDonald in comparison might uh might sound like Winston Churchill in comparison with his speech. What do you think Anderson Silva will say? Oh man, why are you? T- is that a trap? It's not gonna get trap. a clip. Come on, no, no, Anderson's. Oh, I, come I don't on. know. I, I don't have it in me. I, I haven't done Anderson in a long time. I can't, oh I can't, man, you can't just put me on the spot like that. Maybe after the speech, maybe we'll get, we'll we'll get, to get a recap. See. Yes, we'll see if uh, Anderson busts out any any great. Hey great man, stores. the Tony Khan is quickly rising up. Okay, we got to get an update from Brad the Archivist about the the top ten. I believe Anderson is still at the very top, but I think Tony Khan's making him run for it. Well, you know what? It's uh, it's it's a very prestigious level to try and reach the Anderson Silva pantheon of uh, of greats. So anyway, that's the Hall of Fame, and then UFC two ninety is on Saturday. Uh, the major fights are. Alexander Volkanovsky against Yair Rodriguez for the UFC featherweight championship. And then Brandon Moreno against Alexandra Pantoja, who have a backstory where Pantoja has two wins against Moreno, including on the ultimate fighter in 2016. Then they fought again in 2018. So now he is challenging Moreno for the title. So that's, that's an interesting story. Robert Whitaker against Drickus Duplessis, which could produce the next middleweight challenger. And, uh, Bo Nickel is fighting on this card. He got a new opponent this week in Val Woodburn, but Bo Nickel, uh, you know, an outstanding, outstanding NCAA wrestler who has moved over to MMA. This is only his fifth pro fight, but he is seen as a major prospect at 185 pounds. And the fact that he is 4-0 and on the main card, you can certainly see they are, um, giving the, Huge promotional push behind as well. And I mean, look at, look at Val Woodburn. I mean, just uh, scared out of his own photo here that he is going to be, uh, uh, I think he's a plus 750 underdog in this fight. I mean, look at him. He's just, uh, well, he's in the shadows of Bo Nickel. If anything, um, he'll earn a photo at on UFC.com this weekend. So he's already won to me. Look at the nickname, the animal. Creative. You're going to be the animal. Uh, so there you have it. And then Robbie Lawler retiring. He's fighting Nico Price. That's on the prelims. Jack Della Maddalena, another, you know, 14 and two. It's uh, it kind of, you can't call him a prospect at this point, but he is someone uh, certainly on the rise. So this is a, it's a good looking pay-per-view. It's not going to be one of the big, um, you know, international fight week cards of the past where they are stacked up and are going to do monster business, but it looks like a, a very, a very good card. Um, a little thinner on the uh, the bottom end of the card, but uh, a good main card overall with some uh, interesting stories going into Saturday's card. Uh, no post show. No, no, we will not have one this weekend. So um, we will have coverage. Uh, well, if there's anything really uh, that that stands out, we we will cover it on Monday. There's a lot of wrestling to watch. Everybody, John needs a break this weekend. It's also my son's birthday, so people can give me a. A break for for this one. Eric is also unavailable, so I was a I was a one. He's recovering his vocal cords from uh, singing Batista's theme at Forbidden Poor. So. Yes, and I wasn't ready to walk alone 
for UFC 290 on -hmm. Saturday. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Let us move on to Dynamite from Roger's Place. Did you notice uh, here on Bell Owned TSN when the zoom in on the Roger's Place lo- uh, sign outside the arena was happening? Like, we're here at the oh. Roger's Place. I was like, oh, wow, this is this, for, for Canadian TV nerds. This is a real uh, entertaining uh, battle of Bell and Roger's properties on I mean, I- a TSN broadcast. I, yeah, I guess, you know, when they go to the Bell Center in, in Montreal, they can't really avoid that either. No, no. This is can't. why you name buildings. That's that's the whole game. Just so your competitors have to acknowledge you on their mm-hmm. airwaves. And believe me, these uh, these companies are the pettiest that exist. Would you say there. they're really competitors? I'd say they're both working together to completely screw this entire country. At all, they are, but they both want to be the sole proprietor of this country. They don't want to do it in concert with each other. I mean, these two like barely. There's no real to... competition. It's it's as much competition as the you know American political system. Well, on that positive outlook on the, the media landscape, we start off with Renee, who is in the back with Keith Lee and Darby Allen. They're going to be on opposite sides of the blind eliminator tag tournament tonight. And Darby is egging on Keith Lee, telling him he used to be one of the most dominant champions. And if you think you're lost in the shuffle, then do something about it. Pull your head out of your ass, or you can just stand on the apron and cry about it. So this is uh, like Darby lighting a fire under Keith Lee. Mm-hmm. Basically telling him, come out and kill me in this tag match. Yeah. Yeah. So Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen are teaming against Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee. And by the end of the night, we would find out all our participants in this blind eliminator tag. Yeah. Unfortunately, like for whatever reason, still no actual brackets to show us, you know, in a much clearer well, way. Well, we but... do know which winners are facing which. So well, you could create your night... own brackets, but I mean, anytime you went out to tournament, you just kind of figured in order to lay the scene out, you, you, you graphically show everybody, but you know, one of us will make it. I'm sure. Just give us a JPEG AEW. That's all we want. Mm-hmm. So they show a clip of Keith Lee using a cinder block against Swerve and Parker Boudreaux in February. Oh, in it, February. I mean, but the story extends way beyond that, doesn't oh, it? Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. This is just a random moment in uh, in time, and it looks like we're, we'll never get the uh, the payoff to Trench, whose contract has expired. Um, mm-hmm. So we found Darby's, out his name, and then that was it. Took that off. Was it. That was it. Darby slaps Keith Lee, and then Lee launches him with a beal, and 
Orange Cassidy is in and he's getting chopped and they're explaining how the orange punches, they're having less and less effect due to Orange Cassidy's ongoing injuries and continuing to tell the story of this broken down man. Swerve enters and, and gets in control and Swerve and Lee are actually working together, including this Tower of Doom superplex spot to Darby that just looked insane. I, I don't know if it was like, yes, it was them working together, but it was also an extremely clever spot because Lee actually was using Swerve with an offensive move. Like he was attacking Swerve at the same time as Swerve That's was right. attacking his partner. So it it made complete sense. Then Darby got placed underneath the steps by Swerve and Orange Cassidy uh, ends up on the floor and is on the back of Lee, who climbs the stairs with Darby underneath with Orange on his back. And Darby is just screaming as he is getting decapitated underneath these steps. Um, like, awesome. Like, I, I mean, it's the type of spot that you wonder, like, how, how they're actually making this work. Um, like, how is this guy not actually getting crushed under he the is. weight? Yeah, yeah, exactly. but yeah, yeah maybe that's as, 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 as much as that is, you know. I mean, here's, he's the guy who's about to climb Mount Everest, so. Yeah, this is nothing. This is nothing, yeah. Lee squeezes the bad hand of Cassidy as he moves to the, uh, the the rear naked choke, and then Cassidy fights and fights to finally hit a stun dog onto Lee, manages a second one, and with Lee kind of hunched over, Darby returns and leaps over for a code red, which this crowd goes nuts for, and Swerve tries for a 450, missing the target, and instead lands on Keith Lee. But rather than feel bad about this, he laughs that he landed on his partner. Swerve then misses a roundhouse kick and nails Keith Lee. And from there, Cassidy and Darby take over. It includes uh, a DDT off the top by Cassidy and then a tope into a DDT onto Keith Lee. And Darby pins Swerve with the Last Supper in 11 minutes and 15 seconds. And Swerve just can't believe it. And Darby ends up uh, clapping for Keith Lee and fist bumps him after. And uh, Orange Cassidy does the same. So the idea here was that they were just uh, trying to get that killer instinct out of uh, Keith Lee here. And in the end, he, uh, he respects Cassidy and Darby and he still has his hatred of Swerve Strickland. Mm -hmm. I thought this match was great. You know, lots of really, really smart spots from Lee and Swerve that were both spectacular yet also further their particular rivalry. I thought Lee was really fantastic here. You know, great portrayal of him as just a giant, when you have two of your more spectacular cruiserweights in Darby Allen and, you know, Orange Cassidy being able to work around him, I thought Lee was used to really great effect. I love the spot with the steps. Uh, I love the super bomb, uh, sorry, the superplex into the power bomb combo. Um, and it even the, really, like the stun dog set up for the code red that got over so well for the, like, yeah. there were so many little things in these matches that they all tie in together. And these four were, I mean, this was certainly, I think, like Keith Lee's best. Um, outing in a while, like sort of better than last week. I, I certainly enjoyed it more than the the Vikingo team up with uh with Cassidy. Even oh yes, I would um, certainly say so. But, but yeah, I, there were a lot of really clever spots. You know, you basically had two guys work together against Keith Lee, and that just makes Keith Lee looks look amazing. It reignited his feud with Swerve, so hopefully we're finally finally going to get some resolution to that. Um, and next I, February. <laughs> yeah, full year. We'll replay this moment. Uh, I, and I love Cassidy and Darby as a tag team. I mean, first of all, like, can we call some shenanigans going on with these blind, quote unquote, eliminator um, draws? You know, what's RJ City up to when he's make, making these draws? These t- teams are awfully convenient, wouldn't you say? 
What do you mean? You don't think that Matt Menard and the Butcher would be a natural pairing? Okay, that does, seem, that does seem random. But come on, Cole and MJF, Lee and Swerve, Darby and Orange Cassidy. I don't know. I think it's kind of fishy. Maybe this is a whole angle for RJ City at the, at the end of it all. <laughs> there is a vignette for Nick Wayne. And it features Darby Allen talking about um, Buddy Wayne, the father of Nick Wayne, dying on June 17th, 2017. And Darby getting the news, Buddy Wayne being his trainer and having an out-of-body experience. And when he came back, he thought of Nick and how he was going to deal with this. And he made a pact with himself to take care of Nick Wayne. They showed footage of him presenting Nick with a contract at the Defy uh, event two years ago when he was 16. Now he's 18 and says that Nick Wayne is ready for this. He didn't get this contract because he's my friend, but because he is that good. And I thought this was going to start off like a series of these, like the story of Nick Wayne, but he is debuting on next week's show in Saskatoon and probably against Aside from Darby, probably your best opponent in Swerve Strickland with mm-hmm. the, the history that th- those guys have in, in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, completely. I thought this video was fantastic. Really good uh, stuff. Really, really good. I mean, everything about it seemed, you know, completely truthful. Um, and Darby was able to brilliantly explain everything. And I thought visually they told you in a short amount of time exactly who Nick Wayne is and why we should care. You know, from his attachment to his father, um, to the pain of Darby learning about his death. And then to the deep promise that Darby himself made to take care of the guy's son. This essentially becomes Darby's story, which, you know, is a wonderful way to connect Nick Wayne into the ecosystem of AEW with a fan favorite. So now everybody who's a fan of Darby Allen has a direct reason to care about a Nick Wayne. Um, And maybe an attachment to sting. Like this becomes almost like a, like a unit. If you're going to attach him to them. Yeah. uh, The, um, the, what, Sixty-four-year-old with the eighteen-year-old. What's what's sort of like the family name? Um, <laughs> is Nick Wayne going to have to like you know put on some face paint? Um, I I don't know if we're ready for that yet. Yeah, let's get through the match next week and um, see. But it's like you know, I mean, Darby is essentially sort of like the Obi Wan to to Nick Wayne's Luke Skywalker here, and and I think it's a wonderful way of, of bringing Nick Wayne in. I thought this video package was like really great, sort of like rare, you know, video package on AEW that lasted more than thirty seconds that did a tremendous job of telling you everything you needed to know. Car pulls up and Jack Perry gets out and he calls last week ridiculous. And he's going to Tony Khan to request an FTW title match because he will face Hook inside of the ring. Hook jumps Perry, who gets back into the car and takes off. So that this was a hell of a trip for Jack Perry all the way to Edmonton for this, for this visit. Well, I mean, come on. There's so much. Go through customs. There's a lot of good stuff to do in Edmonton. West Edmonton Mall. You think he made it to West Edmonton Mall? You think he went skating in there? Maybe, maybe. Maybe he went to Banff. Jasper. Sure. We're just turning into Jericho's promo now. We're just listing cities mjf and cole this was another out of the arena segment for aew where they're at the health club hanging out over the past weekend and mjf asks him to spot him and cole is distracted on his phone and then they spot an unassuming puff in the gym oh that's who that was okay yes and so mjf is making jokes about him and cole says you can't say things like that anymore but then says 
he does look a lot like Tony Schiavone, and they both share a laugh. And Cole then does his lift, and MJF is just astounded at what he has seen here. So this would be uh, this would be a story throughout the episode. But the idea here is that MJF and Adam Cole, these are obviously the odd couple, but Cole is taking a liking to this guy, and it's going to cause friction with his other friends who just see MJF as this asshole who's probably playing you. Yeah, like Cole. I mean, it's 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 actually like a little bit com- complex here for a professional wrestling, you know, story that we've seen kind of a million times. But it's like Cole knows MJF is trying to get him like off his guard so that he could turn on him eventually. But Cole might also be finding himself taking a liking to, you know, MJF's sort of like heelish antics. And maybe he's actually falling for it. At the same time, I also think that MJF is aware that Cole is aware that he- MJF is aware because you know they've been doing all of this on tv and adam cole for whatever reason feels like mjf is not watching these shows which i don't think you know is going to necessarily stick anyway um it's intriguing so you know let's see let's see how convoluted it gets more to come tonight the acclaimed are out max raps about the canadian wildfires and that the The mollywood boys the trudeau brown face yeah, they brought up that with the, with the Bollywood boys in the ring and calling them two bitches and a dominatrix in reference to the Blade. So the Bollywood boys getting on AEW programming again. And uh, this is a six man with daddy ass involved. Uh, at one point, Gunn threatened to take his tights off, and this was stopped by the Blade. They delivered the scissor me timbers, did their big scissor spot, and then Bowens gets the hot tag. Uh, in comes Gunn and... Gerv gets set up for the mic drop six minutes and 39 seconds, which included a picture in picture. I don't know if this was a match that needed a picture in picture, but I think almost every match on the show ended up getting the uh, picture in picture treatment. They do love their uh, picture in pictures. Yeah. It didn't seem like there were any real stakes attached to this one. And the only reason why you had, um, the blade here is because um the butcher was taken up in, in the blind tournament yeah was this our like blind non-eliminator tournament match where the yeah. blade just was like looking for partners and the bollywood boys took took uh, so. him on as a charity case i guess, i mean i guess so it was really nice to see the bollywood boys get on dynamite you know um i i i don't i wouldn't say this was the type of match where you got to see really much of them you know they were really just here to kind of play you know showcase opponents for the acclaimed well, the, the acclaimed door is super popular in Edmonton. And then after the match, they're in the ring celebrating. And Harley Cameron is on is on the screen at the QTV offices holding a pair of scissors. And she has made a video to show them what real talent is like. And she will debut this video next week, calling herself Miss Money on the Mic. And they will be peanut butter and jealous. And Billy responds that he has two words for her and just yells, suck it. Mm-hmm. no allusions to this just full-on going for it well do they have a copyright on suck it i don't know i, I don't know if they're if this is a uh maybe that direct sentence you know i've got two words for you suck it they they must have trademarked that have they not well i mean it was used maybe. here well, maybe i mean they've not. always alluded to it but i can't remember a time when billy gunn has just flat out uh used it but nonetheless yeah um i mean this maybe whole... you know what maybe he went to wrestlenomics.com uh just before the show and saw that jerry mcdivitt is planning to retire soon and he figured you know what let's just go for it <laughs> k and l gates they've got their attention yeah. elsewhere i'm gonna slide this on national television right part, at least part of the story they are keeping up is that harley cameron is still like trying to i guess gain the affections of um 
Anthony Bowens, you know, even after like the, 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 the big scene that, that, you know, took place and, well, I, what's going to be left of QTV? Because Hobbs is on to bigger and better things. Harley Cameron is clearly one that they are breaking off to, I think, be more of a focused player on the show. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if she necessarily needs QTV with it. So we're going to have like QT and Aaron Solo left together. I, I, I think they're really just a faction in name, you know, and I guess they do have these offices and they do need editors. And she did need, uh, you know, people to edit this video, I would assume. What's the rent on these offices? This is not a great time to be getting office space. Post-pandemic world. I mean, this could True. all be done from your laptop. Work from home, QTV? I think so. I mean, they're on the road. How many times are they in the office per week as it is? Yeah, true. They showed Eddie Kingston winning the strong open weight title earlier today from Kenta, and we get a, a promo spot from John Moxley talking about his history meeting Kingston in 2009 doesn't know what Eddie Kingston has to be mad about when they each have gotten everything they wanted out of this business. He talks about people being people complaining about younger talent and being disrespectful. They build up the younger generation and tells Eddie to answer his phone. Mm-hmm. We well, didn't get the, you haven't returned my phone messages, my texts, my tweets. Well, Moxley is saying that about Eddie Kingston. Yes. Right. I, I don't think Moxley is, um, yeah, he probably is not DMing him. Is he much of a texter, you think? Or either of a much, much of a texter? These I guys, um, I bet you Eddie Kingston's a texter, but I would imagine Moxley is more of a pick up the phone kind of guy. Well, um, I will say maybe he could have spoken to Eddie when they were at Total Con. Went <laughs> right. I just thought like, about that. Damn, just what a way to break that. the illusion. I mean, it's the coolest picture ever, you know, seeing these three in, in the greatest. You know, Totacon posted sport. this too. They kind of they kind of blew their spot here. Nah, it's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll give them a break. But yeah. man, what a what a great place. Yeah. What do you, what, what do you think these guys bought? Probably whatever they could fit into that fanny pack. Yeah. You should always you should always work out the the uh, the currency conversion before you get to the checkout and you realize that your Terry Funk program cost a lot more than you thought it did in your head. It made for a great gift, though. Yes, it did. All right. So after that, they do make the announcement of the participants, or at least most of them, for Blood and Guts. So that's coming up in two weeks in Boston. On one end, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Hangman Page, and a mystery partner – against John Moxley, Wheeler Yuta, Claudio Castagnoli, Kanosuke Takeshita, and their mystery partner, noting the fact that Kingston is in the G1 and Danielson has a broken arm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would think next week's show, you want to have those participants announced and and figured out. So we will see uh, who is added. But it is five on five in Boston. Mm-hmm. I like that they didn't bother with some sort of bullshit excuse for Eddie Kingston. You know, they just showed this you clip can't. of him. So you couldn't. You, and there's no need. There's no need to. Being in the G1 is a good excuse for why he's not at the at blend guts. Uh, but and you know, doing something like this, I wonder what the plan was. I guess I guess if Brian was healthy, he would have just been in the match, and, and on the babyface side, they would have had somebody else. But this gives more intrigue for both sides. Now, now you have you know mystery opponents for both of them. So, any guesses? Um, I mean, it could really be anyone because because anyone like that would be like top of your mind. I know everyone's going to assume like Jericho, like, um, a Jericho. Um, they're kind Palace? of dangling that. That that's not crazy. Um, I know everyone's really going to like tone. throw out the Abushi name. I would I would say if if that was going to be something, I would certainly save it for something besides this. 
You don't think why? You don't think this is big enough for an Ibushi debut? I just think it kind of gets lost um, in the whole thing. I mean, it's 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 not a, a terrible idea. Um, it just on a week's notice, and I, I I just think like that could be a really big introduction in AEW beyond a one week thing, and then he's just in this match and he's one of ten guys. Sure, yeah, but that's who you think it'll be? No, no. Um, wouldn't be great if it was CM Punk. <laughs> sure why not (laughs) in boston no less all right Mm. renee and rj are with matt hardy with the tumbler and his partner is jeff you mean my brother jeff hardy (laughs) no jeff jarrett oh i hate jeff jarrett (laughs) yeah that's it this tournament yuda cuts a promo he's gonna kill kenny tonight oh my god Jericho comes out, major reception. Dude, he was so popular here in Edmonton. I mean, the the Judas uh, ended, and they're giving him a standing ovation, and Jericho says it's bittersweet because recently, this year, I've had a lot of big losses. It's time to reevaluate, and the perfect place to do that is here in Alberta, where my career began. And he mentioned starting in Calgary with Stu Hart. And you've got the crowd that are, like, I think chanting Stu, Mm -hmm. and Jericho thought they were boo and you're like you're really gonna boo Stu Hart it was the Mr. Burns meme but like in real life and the opposite way they were chanting boo earned actually you would think too like if you did hear boos you would assume it would be reserved for Calgary and not for (laughs) a legendary figure in Stu Hart that they would be booing yeah they they, there's no but it was not it was not Shivani even pointed out like if he said Bruce okay I can (laughs) I see people booing. Okay, but. okay. Blood and guts. Bruce, <laughs> Bruce on one side. <laughs> Why? It's not even like Calgary. Like, who cares? Okay, Bruce, Bruce Hart. It's Bruce Hart in Boston, the site of the Survivor Series that he was a part of with the Hearts <laughs> in 1993, with Stu in their corner in a Boston Bruins jacket. Okay, um, done. Book it. Yeah, makes Brett and Bruce sense. on opposite sides. It's WrestleMania 10, the match that was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. If not for Brett. I, I love it. Dream. One promo from Bruce. I, I, I bet it would be a great promo. Well, we're not going to do Bruce either. So he lists off all the cities he can remember in Alberta, and it's just getting a pop from, I know where that is. I know that highway. And he says, that was when wrestling was everything to me, and it still is everything to me, and it's time to become a better Chris Jericho. Maybe the best version ever. And with that, Don Callis comes out, and he now has music. I don't know how I feel about this, that this guy doesn't need music, but it's still got the the crazy heated response. And he says that it was exactly six years ago today in 2017 that he called Chris and suggested him headlining the Tokyo Dome with Kenny Omega. You agreed, and we changed wrestling history. And he doesn't think Jericho's here in AEW without his idea. So Jericho comes back and says, if it wasn't for me, I brought you back to the wrestling business and I got you into AEW. So he takes credit for Callus. Callus says they both made history together. And recently I was betrayed by a coward punk and I need a new family and one that is built on trust. And he calls Jericho his best friend of 34 years, which given that uh, Chris Jericho has been debuted 33 years ago. I don't think they knew each other before wrestling. So I only point this out. 
Both being from Winnipeg, up. you don't think they would have been friends somewhere? I, I, I don't believe their their past cross. Why would you wrestling. bullshit by adding an extra year? Um, I don't know. If I, I maybe maybe I'm not aware of some pre wrestling meeting. Maybe they maybe, maybe they're just rounding up. Could be. So he invites Jericho to join the family. Jericho says, I don't join factions. I create them. And you think he's going to turn down Callus, And he says, I have a one word answer for you. Maybe. And he leaves. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe not. Maybe. Yeah. Really heated segment. Like this crowd, they love Jericho. They hated Don Callis. Um, and that added to the segment a lot. And you have the, the cliffhanger here. And you're, you're right. Like he is someone you could, you could see maybe being, um, a candidate for blood and guts. It, like he'd be a really weird fit for the Blackpool Combat Club, but you know it's it, it's a different style of match, I suppose. I really like this Chris Jericho promo, and I thought it was sort of like a perfect place, you know, here to have him interact with Don Callis, the closest they're going to be to you know uh, uh, Winnipeg, um, where he's and and a guy who clearly is treating Alberta as a second home. It was the perfect place to, for him to sort of dangle this like babyface turn um, or heel turn. You know, you don't know, but tonight he basically played a babyface for Alberta, and I thought he like did everything a babyface was supposed to do really well. Um, but ended the segment with that ambiguous question of whether or not he has truly turned babyface, or if he's going to go more heelish by joining Don Callis. And I think you know we're all probably happy at this point to see the next version of Chris Jericho. Um, he's his recent programs have not received some of the best reaction. Um, maybe, you know, sting brief interaction aside, and that looks to be over, right? There was very little in terms of follow-up to like, there was really no follow-up on that. Even like, like no mention of sting on the show, or if it was, it was very brief. It wasn't uh, anything focused upon, nor, nor would you get the sense here that they're, they're going any further with this with Jericho. And sting. Well, after like what's, you know, diving off of like a ladder through a table um, at 64 years of age, I, I don't know where else you go beyond that. Um, but I, I'm, I'm excited to see what this next version of Chris Jericho might be. They recap the Owen Hart cup. And we got promos from Jericho and Samoa Joe in advance of their match Saturday. Punk comparing Joe to climbing the summit, something he has he has never made it to the top. And Joe says there has never been a day in CM Punk's life that he has been better than me. And it's going to be no different on Saturday. And Punk says he's going to beat Joe and win this whole tournament. Tell me when I'm telling lies, which I guess is now his uh, spoiler alert that uh, Heyman will do. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this was very condensed. It was short. Do you feel they, in in an AEW style that you know these are going to be quick and short, like, do you feel that this pushed you enough towards the match on Saturday? Knowing what my expectations are for, like, this sort of thing, the answer is yes. Like, I, I, I expected, at the very least, you know, a mention of it. Like, I might have even expected a lower third at some at least so this kind of you know exceeded my expectations i think the main point they needed to drive home was that punk has never beaten Samoa joe uh and he repeated that multiple times throughout this segment and so you're you're led right up to the to, to saturday with the story can cm punk finally beat Samoa joe 20 almost 20 years later um Beyond that, I don't know how much more you are going to be able to tell like in 30 seconds here, which is all the time they had. Yeah. And, and a correction on my part is that on Honor Club, so the way they have it set up, if you go to the 
ROH events. You can sort by year. And in 2004, they don't have the shows up with these matches. But if you go to the collections tab, it does have the three matches from 2004. So you can watch those three. And and they're excellent matches. So, um, yes, we will see what number this pulls. It's the biggest match they've done on Collision so far. And do you yeah, feel I, it was enough? Um. Like, I, I thought they did, like, a fine job. Like, you left this show, no, like, they, I thought they did a good job of promoting this. I think more could have been done to just kind of go into the story of it. But I knew, like, they're not going to dedicate that amount of time to it. But by the end of it, like, this did feel like a noteworthy match that you're coming away from this Wednesday show knowing is happening on Saturday. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really curious to see how much of the audience, um, sort of the legend of Joe versus punk necessarily connects with, um, ahead of Saturday is somebody who, you know, wasn't around and didn't really know about all that stuff. Are they as intrigued about it or is it just another match, you know, between two name guys to them? Yeah. We're going to find out. I would not underestimate that stuff that even for those that maybe were not following it at that time, they hear it enough that it feels the, like a big match. The, the Kingo thing completely just, I think, you know, like, blows that those yeah. expectations out. And it's, and it's your biggest star in a very noteworthy match. So, I mean, there's, there's reason to believe like it, it should connect and it's certainly something very, very significant to have on, on this show on Saturday. Uh, and then they previewed Hobbs and starts, which is the other match. And Roderick Strong being taken out on the stretcher last Saturday. So Roderick Strong, after being stretchered out of Hamilton, was flown to Edmonton for a medical checkup with Doc Sampson. And Doc says that he's making progress, but we're going to take as much time as we need. Strong says, I feel amazing as he's hearing a neck collar. Feels amazing. And Adam Cole comes in, warning him to be careful. And Strong says, what's going on with you and MJF? Cole says, I've got this under control. And with that, he gets a text message from MJF. I think they were on a on a Rogers uh, wireless service here. I'm guessing they were roaming. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. And MJF makes a crack about hitting a double clothesline in their match tonight, and this was um this was something. What a setup for a double clothesline. More importantly, we got to see Roderick Strong in a neck collar again, and uh, of course, <laughs> this poor guy. He's got a history of neck issues. Our friends at Poison Ron are very quick to point out that, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Roddy in a neck collar, uh, NXT is canon. So <laughs> the difference being NXT, they took him to a hospital where he stayed in storyline. This one, they're they're flying him all oh, over the country. Well, I mean, Strong knew what he was in for last time. He was in a neck collar, and he so he's completely no selling the injury this time. He's not going to any any hospital. They plug. Randy Did he ever come back from the hospital? No, he never came. This was a life-threatening yeah, injury that he suffered exit. in NXT that he never came his, back from. Left, his, left, uh, left the creeds to lose their careers in NXT without his, his guidance. His NXT. Ivy Nile is going to be all by her lonesome on Tuesday nights. Yeah, so he's just pretending he's not hurt. Rampage 100 is Friday, and Dynamite 200 is on August 2nd in Tampa. Nice round numbers. That's you know, I got to watch. Yes. MJF and Adam Cole against Matt Menard and The Butcher. The abdominal stretch match. That's what this was. Um, so <laughs> these blind eliminator um, matches are, blind. you know, sometimes they, they, they could be quite random. And uh, you ask why. Say no more than the words magic meat for why you would put daddy magic al- together with the butcher. The, the magic meat might be the best tag team name in the history of tag team wrestling. No one would order magic meat off the menu. Oh, I would. 
I would be, I would have made them the champions just based off the name alone. You would be. I, I think. I think on one of our trips we went to uh, a Wahlburgers and they served <laughs> us magic meat. Well, it was at the Pearson Airport. Um, oh my god! Yeah, it was pretty magical. You and I time. were nearly died. So this match, there's a happy birthday chant for Cole. I mean, MJF was pretty entertaining in this match where he's just playing like the like the most obnoxious babyface in the world, and it's it, like the crowd is all with it, which made this work. Because if this if this was Hamilton, and I hate to dump on them, I think this would have fallen pretty flat. Um, you needed a crowd that was energized and engaged mm-hmm. in the MJF Cole interaction, and unfortunately, Menard or sorry, Magic Meat were they could have been any two other wrestlers on the planet. They were. Sure. It was pretty much Cole and MJF were having a conversation for seven minutes with these two other bodies um, in the ring to get the heat on them briefly. So MJF is in the match for like seven minutes before Cole finally gets in. And throughout the the heat, you've got MJF applying a, a, an abdominal stretch and coaxing Cole into grabbing his hand for leverage. And the crowd starts chanting, do it. So when Cole finally bends the rules, the crowd cheers. So again, this is all Cole, like succumbing to MJF's ways and, you know, having a soft spot for MJF that's, that's growing over time. So in comes Cole MJF is calling for the double clothesline, but Cole ignores him, fighting off Butcher and Menard, uh, and then hits the boom in 851. And then MJF comes in and lifts him up, wants a hug. Cole just wants nothing to do with this guy at all. But it is just MJF. This is kind of more of a heightened version of what he was doing with Sammy Guevara. And prior to that, Jericho, like just the guy Mm -hmm. who just is adoring his partner, but you question the sincerity sort of become like, you know, an an MJF cliche at this point, you know, the guy who befriends um, like his, his would be opponent um, in a very over the top exaggerated way. And I was like reluctant to see this direction for this Adam Cole feud because they had already started off so hard at the outcome of that, you know, time limit draw that I think going back to this comedic route, I feel was going to lessen it. But, this was very entertaining. I thought MJF was really funny here. Whenever he plays any sort of baby face, he, he really hams it up in like a really entertaining way. And I have a feeling this is going to work a, a lot better than the Sammy Guevara truce temporarily because Cole is a baby face that people actually want to cheer. So I think it already is, you know, coming across a bit better. So MJF suggests they have another bro session this weekend, which Cole agrees to. And then when he goes to bro session, a bro session. Yes. MJF wishes him a happy birthday as streamers come up. There's balloons and the cheapest cake in the history of wrestling cakes is brought out. I mean, this thing was bought at Loblaws an hour before showtime, and it was the last one left on the tray. They put on birthday hats. Cole is stating this is all a bit much. And MJF, sings happy birthday until Cole stops him from singing. And it all leads up to Cole going to make a wish and blow out the candle. And MJF tries to face plant him into the cake, but Cole sidesteps knowing what the plot is. And it's MJF that gets the the cake in the face. And at the end of it all, Cole says, for all you've done here on my birthday, thank you, my friend. And Mm -hmm. we are left with two having a, a growing friendship. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, a bit of symbolism there meant to show that uh, Cole is always aware of what MJF is plotting behind him. Um, but it could also just be a bit of a misdirect because I do feel like because this is so out of character for an MJF that he probably is, again, well aware that Cole is aware that he he's, you know, being being plotted against. Um, and then maybe Cole is aware that, on top of that, that MJF is aware. I mean, these two are, are portrayed as like two of the smarter sort of conniving characters in the company. And we're seeing kind of layer one of like what these characters should be doing. So I've, I, I have hopes and I have a feeling that it's going to get a bit more complex than that. And for that reason, I'm intrigued to see where it goes. Um, but bottom line, is it entertaining right now? Yeah, I think it's entertaining. The idea, the idea of like, choosing a double clothesline as a finisher is for some reason hilarious to me. They're going to win the tournament and that's going to be how they win it. A double clothesline. Sure. Yeah. It just sounds like the least interesting move possible that somebody could come up with. And for that reason, it seems kind of perfect. But you're going to, you're, you're making it feel like it holds some importance to MJF. So when Cole finally engages with him, it means he's taken this guy in and he's late. He's, he's going with his, double clothesline spot. So I kind of like that they've dangled that and they didn't just give it away here. Renee is with Britt Baker, who doesn't care what Ruby Soho had to say about her last week because she lied. One thing you can never take away from me is my pride. The other is me winning the first Owen Hart Cup as she brings in her belt. And you're going to be out in the first round this year, unlike the finals where she beat Ruby last year. Then Renee who, again, very, very busy woman on this show, is with Jericho, Daniel Garcia, and Sammy Guevara. They want to know, what's going on with you and Don Callis? Jericho says, you can't be under my wing forever. And Renee informs Garcia and Guevara, you're teaming up at the Blind Eliminator Tournament. What are the odds? Jericho says, this is great. This is your chance to go win the tag titles and find out who the leader is. So it's uh, the beginning of the fracturing of the Jericho Appreciation Society. Uh, Never a good sign when the state of the group only involves like half the crew. Yeah, I feel most. Jake Hager's like, whatever. I mean, Daddy Magic was, you know, he's he's in Magic Meat now. And I don't think um, he's already gone. I guess uh, Cool Hand Luke um, stayed. Cool Hand Ange. Oh, sorry. Cool. Cool. Hand. Paul Newman is not part of the, <laughs> the Jericho Appreciation Society. He wouldn't put up with this. I'm most concerned about Jake Hager and his hat. You know, maybe, you know, we're, maybe as long as he has his hat, he doesn't need anybody else. Britt Baker and Ruby Soho in the Owen Hart Cup. Um, so th- this one got off to to a rough start. I must have replayed like three times to try and figure out what the objective of this move was, where Baker does like an arm ringer and then goes to lift up Ruby for something. And they just go down to the mat and Ruby just rolls out to the floor. And I don't know what this would have looked like if they did hit it, but it was just a mess. Just to look some sort of like, you know, like um, back body drop type of like lift, you know, um, but uh, yeah, one was thinking one thing and one was thinking a completely different because uh, mm-hmm. this was just a, a totally messed up uh spot where they it it was just a little rough as they were trying to like regain their timing after this beginning they go through the break and then uh, from there you have the outcast constantly getting involved there's a saito suplex to baker but then misses a double foot stomp and baker uh tries for the lockjaw but soraya gets on the apron so as paul turner is checking on ruby with the lockjaw he stops and he goes to deal with 
uh, to, with Soraya. Well, you can't have hold people on, hold on to the submission. I got somebody over here. I've got to deal with right now. So we just continue on. Storm holds up the Owen Hart belt, and Baker gets hit into it, and she is hit with no future. And everyone thought this was the ending, but Baker kicks out. Big pop for that. Baker is then caught in a crossface, but kicks off the rope, reversing it to the lockjaw, and the Outcast just pull Ruby to the floor. This is not a DQ. This is nothing. This is just. Uh, did the referee see it though? Where was he here? Oh, he was. It was both outcasts. Who would he have been distracted with? He had no one to be distracted by. The referee was focused on the 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 participant in the match. She was being pulled to the floor. Okay, so what was the spot again? Lockjaw. Spot was Ruby in the lockjaw. Yeah, and then Storm and Soraya pull her to the floor. Yeah, well, because the referee was looking at their faces and could not see their. uh, uh, Yeah, who was it? Ruby's feet. So, uh, ba- yeah, he, he doesn't see this woman being pulled out of a submission to the floor. Oh, it's like, probably is that the she, wind here in Edmonton? Pushed, she pushed herself towards the ropes. I mean, you know, it happens. Okay. So the match, if the referee didn't see it. He can't call it. Baker attacks all of them and then drops Tony and then goes for the victory roll, which is how she won last year's tournament. But Soho reverses crossing Baker's legs and holds on to, uh, w- Soraya or Storm for leverage. Uh, this was a babyface spot for Cole and MJF. It's a heel move 10 minutes later, and Ruby wins in 10.07, and will face Sky Blue next week. So Baker is out of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, honestly, I found the match a little bit disappointing, even like beyond the that blown spot. Um, I thought it, there was really nothing all that special about it before the finish, but the finish was a nice callback. You know, It continues to really, though... Um, I feel like the outcasts are like the closest thing we have to the house of torture in AEW, meaning that they're just unremarkably, remarkably uncreative when it comes to using heel tactics. They're about as generic as can be. And you know what? Does it work? Yeah, I guess it works half the time, but I do feel like it, it's a real missed opportunity to do something a bit more memorable and a bit more special and less groan inducing um, in the right way. You know? Yeah. I, 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 I didn't get into this match much. It was to me just between the interference and the first half of this that they just seemed to be really rough in the, in the timing and such. And I mean, I, I like the victory roll idea and, and the callback to last year, but that to me did not salvage the match. So it's sky blue and Ruby Soho next Wednesday. And then they've got to get to the finals because they have Athena and Willow on Saturday, which should be a very good match. And then the finals are in Calgary a week from Saturday. Rampage 100 has Jeff Jarrett and Matt Hardy against Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia. Those winners face Orange Cassidy and Darby next Wednesday. Big Bill and Big Brian take on Little Trent and Tinier Seidel. Those winners take on Adam Cole and MJF next Wednesday. Hikaru Shida against Marina Shafir and the Young Bucks at Hangman Page against Dark Order's Alex Reynolds, John Silver, and Evil Uno to celebrate 100 episodes of Rampage. A rematch from last week. Um, correct. Yeah, yes. Wednesday. I take your word for it. Dynamite next Wednesday has those two tag matches, plus Jericho against Commander, Swerve Strickland against Nick Wayne, and the aforementioned Sky Blue Ruby Soho match in the Owen Hart Cup. So, um, yeah, interesting style with Jericho and Commander doing a match. And, mm-hmm. I mean, Jericho had that excellent match with Bandito, uh, different performers, Commander and Bandito, but nonetheless, um, 
And then Swerve and Nick Wayne, for many reasons, is kind of the most intriguing match next week to just see how well Nick Wayne gets over. Uh, yep. They will be in Saskatoon next week. Brock country. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I doubt I, he'll be visiting. Um, I doubt it too. Uh, I, I'm I'm looking forward to Nick Wayne's debut the most, you know, especially after the video package today. It tells me they're really going to treat him seriously, and he's just he's not just going to be somebody that they're going to shove in there like maybe without that much fanfare. I'm I'm looking forward not just to the match, but to see what sort of storyline he might actually springboard onto on this episode. And you'd imagine it'd be something with Darby, obviously. Mm-hmm. Jericho Commander, I think, is also a really interesting, you know, like test for the both of them. For Jericho, like how is he going to work against somebody? who who wrestles like commander and how is commander going to be able to maybe take advantage of you know having the spotlight that a jericho match provides um certainly the biggest match he's had in aw at least you know when it comes to star power and the main event wheeler yuda against kenny omega and man both of them were great in this match but omega is like his story is selling this Tiger Driver 91. So you can't say that this was a move that was just done for the night and they're not going to get maximum value out of it because he comes out, he's taped up and all the little things he did were just struggling with like anything to do with his neck from lifting him up for the one winged angel to the, uh, you can't escape and he lands on the neck. Like this to me is. For the criticisms we had of some of Rollins selling, I mean, this to me was the opposite, where everything had a price to pay that affected his neck. And Yuta just jumps on it. Part of me wonders, like, how much he would have been focused on selling his neck if there wasn't so much of a discussion based off of that move itself. Like, I'm sure he would have been selling the shoulder or something. But because the conversation was so big about that that Tiger driver, I mean, it either way, it was brilliant to use it in this match right afterwards. I think regardless, you want to sell that you're coming out of this war mm. and he, he should be coming out damaged from it um, yeah. regardless. But I think because that had such a spotlight, it's going to resonate more because everyone knows like it has a story attached to it. And now we're going to exploit that story. So Taz brings up the Tiger Driver 91, and this is after the, the you can't escape spot. And as he rolls through, comes down on the neck, and he's just down momentarily, and it delays him from following with the moonsault so Yuta can get his knees up. They go through the break, and it's all Yuta here. He hits a uh he gets hit with a superplex, and the crowd, they were red hot for Omega. Uh Yuta manages uh rolling Germans onto him and onto the neck. Omega comes back with the snap dragons and a V-trigger, and then goes for the one-winged angel, but it's delayed because his neck cannot support the weight of Yuta, who escapes and applies the seatbelt for a great near fall, then catches Yuta for a power bomb and V-trigger. Don Callis comes out and he is surrounded by security, which distract everyone as Takeshita enters and hits Omega with a blue thunder bomb. Yuta hits the splash. Everyone thinks it is over and Omega kicks out and they go nuts. And he knocks Yuta off balance on the turnbuckle to hit the one winged angel, which I thought was so clever in that he knocks him off the elevated turnbuckle so he doesn't have to use his weight to pick him up and hits the one-winged angel and uh wins wins the match. I I thought this was just so well well done for you know the t- I'm not going to advocate for the Tiger Driver 91 spot, but I am going to advocate for get absolutely the most you possibly can if you have done that and I I thought both of these guys were just it, th- this was excellent. This was such a great storytelling match and one where 
like you had this audience totally buying Yuta getting a victory once again over Kenny Omega. He felt like he felt like he was right there on Kenny's level as well. And this progressed the feud with Takeshita. The ending was so well thought out with the one winged angel that, um, yeah, I just, I just, this was my match of the show, uh, followed by the opening tag. You know, I, I feel most people, main eventers who maybe go through like a huge pay-per-view main event and then have a TV match right afterwards for a bit of rehab, they come in, they do their signature moves, you know, maybe five minutes, you get out. They put so much effort into this rehab match for Kenny and made it, I felt like a rather significant chapter coming off of a major pay-per-view main event. It was a story that gave somebody relatively low ranked, like a Wheeler Yuta, a huge spotlight to be able to go 50-50 with a Kenny Omega in a completely logical and justified way. Um, like you, I was really impressed with, you know, the way they, that Kenny was able to exemplify the neck injury through the failure of several of his spots and the way he solved that puzzle to finally get Yuta up for that one winged angel with him being already par- perched on the top turnbuckle. I thought was, uh, uh, you know, it was a real stroke of brilliance when when it comes to his style of professional wrestling. It was an awesome follow-up to the Osprey match, and now you have an extended storyline for Kenny Omega who's vulnerable, who's you know beatable much in the same way that orange cassidy has been you know throughout his uh international title run. So it's yet another obstacle for Kenny Omega to have to overcome. Yeah, I I'm oh and afterwards you had Claudio run in and join in on the attack on Omega with Takeshita when the Bucks and Hangman ran out with chairs and they delivered a BTE trigger to Claudio and we are past the the top of the hour and literally like the the graphic is up <laughs> giving like the copyright notice as Dark Order shows up to rip the chair away from Hangman and boom we're out it was like the last second Dark Order gets this chair spot uh, and takes it away from Hangman so the show ends at 1002 and as we mentioned last week they they did the overrun as well so we'll see if this is a norm for them but do you um, think these overruns are intentional or could they just yes. like be over oh no yes i fully think they're doing them on purpose right yeah so what happens if they're actually overtime i mean we've seen some pretty damn close calls i i and what happens if they actually go over i mean it's like it's it's weird because it's not like you have like um like your local news to get to it's not like they're on a network network programming where it's like your affiliates have to start at that top of the hour but it does kind of like you do need to have like your heart out for us for your schedule um yeah but, but it's I, live tv it's live tv but it doesn't mean they'll necessarily stick with it like we, we've we had instances where like they've gone off the air and people have not known that like the show's done um right but anyway mm-hmm. i i i think they they fully are aware of going over like they did last week and they got a leg of boost in those two minutes so it was effective I'm interested to hear people's thoughts on this because you did have, I I thought, two really outstanding matches. But this was like a heavy story-driven show and a lot of, you know, segments outside of just bell-to-bell wrestling. A Mm -hmm. lot of emphasis on, like, MJF and Cole. And I don't know how people will will feel about a a lot of, like, that kind of storyline aspects to it. But it was a different format than usual for Dynamite is how it felt to me. I personally enjoyed it. You know, this is something that I've kind of been clamoring more for from AEW. Um, more storytelling, more video packages, 
that are relevant, not just recaps. Although, like, I, I felt like there was an uptick in recaps as well. Again, relevant recaps, like, you know, in the case of, like, Swerve and Keith Lee, where it's been, like, five months since we've actually, you know, seen their last interactions, um, that caught you up with the story so that you could enjoy the match to a higher degree. Um, it felt, this show felt more, like, well-rounded and and as a maybe less one-dimensional just as a pure wrestling show and that's to my personal taste it's also taking you know a a relative gamble for some where if okay we're gonna play this punk joe video package and yeah that might hurt our our quarter uh when we're showing a a video package but the hope is that whatever we lose momentarily there's um an impact for saturday for Nick Wayne, we're going to play this video package, not for tonight, but this is to pay dividends next week so that he shows up and he's got a story from day one when he shows up. And that's, that's your balance is that sometimes, okay, this is, this is not for tonight. This is for uh, a show in the future that we, we need to understand that we're, we take one step back here with the hope of having two, two forward when this pays off in the future. So overall, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the two matches. This was a, a relatively good edition of Dynamite, I would say. Um, two hours and two minutes worth. And we will hear from you as well. So if you want to get any super chats, you are welcome to do so. Get those in. Way will be monitoring. And we will go to forum.postwrestling.com. Would you like to start, Way? Oh, uh, let's actually go to a super chat here. This one comes to us from Jake from the Windy City. Thank you as always, Jake, for the support. He says, would it help Jack Perry's character for him to realign with Christian and Luchasaurus? And how about that wacky Australian Grand Prix last weekend? It feels kind of like you're just going back at this point. I don't Mm -hmm. think he needs that other than, well, he's a heel now and they're heels. I I don't like the idea of just kind of retconning this like blood feud that they had and Christian like literally tearing down this guy's deceased father and his family. And we're just going to say, well, I'm a bad guy now, too. So that's all water under the bridge. I don't think Jack Perry needs to be with Christian and Luchasaurus. I think there's other people you could pair him with. He could be in Don Callis's family and make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And that's a fresh take for Perry. It gives him a mouthpiece with him. And it's not kind of convoluting your history of what was a pretty significant feud. Agreed. Agreed. I think it'd be too much of a step backwards, even just aesthetically for, you know, um, jungle boy to, to be associated with those two again. Um, I I'd love to know what sort of interactions they may have to explain why he's not um, uh, realigned with them because you figure at some point they'll meet again and um, you know, Christian might make the offer and I'd love to see jungle boy do something to show that he's grown past them and, you know, maybe even exceeded Christian as a dastardly heel. So um, yeah, I don't, I hope he doesn't rejoin them and the Grand Prix. Did you get to watch the Austrian Grand Prix? I mean, I had it on in the background. I wasn't watching it intently, so I, I don't have any I, thoughts. I struggled to watch it in parts. Like two hours is a long time for, you know, uh, anything really on the weekend, especially just uh, like with a baby at home. So it was really difficult. I am aware of like everything weird that happened with all the penalties. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, you know. It's as much of a part of the game as as anything, it seems, you know, like making sure that you don't get penalties or making sure that the other teams do get penalties. Yeah, track limits. All right, let's go to the forum. We'll start off with 
Jordan from the Bronx. This wasn't my favorite Dynamite, but still enjoyable. Collision has longer matches and a slower pace, and tonight seemed to slow things as well. There were longer pre-tapes, more promos in the ring. While I agree that AEW could allow more things to breathe, there's also times where things overstay their welcome. The Cole-MJF segments were good, but after a while, I was ready for them to end. Very excited for the debut of Nick Wayne. It seems that they want to get behind him right away, as opposed to having him come up through something like ROH. The Cole-MJF stuff is funny for the most part. It will be funny to eventually see who is the person that ultimately outsmarts the other to set up their match. Digging the spy versus spy aspect of this, as opposed to having Cole be completely gullible. I'll beat this drum every time. Please stop beating Swerve. Agreed there. Let's go to uh, Zubin, who says, Evening, gents. So awesome to have Swerve in our glory reunited, if only just for one night. Their chemistry is just off the charts. I love Keith's delight when sneaking in attacks on Swerve. It might not be for everybody, but MJF's hokey BS with Cole popped me throughout the night. There's a certain reluctant energy that Cole's channeling, reminiscent of his BTE sketches with Silver and Reynolds. That works for me. Unless you've already discussed it, likely or unlikely that Cole gets seduced by the devil. Well, I I see them at least going at minimum to the finals of this tournament. And I think that you either have them explode in this uh, final and they lose or they win and they keep this going further uh in into the summer um I, I think ultimately it's you know you have your blow-up point because i think it is the match you ultimately want to get to and mm-hmm. um yeah i think i think they'll be very cognizant of not making adam cole though the the buffoon baby face that gets outsmarted uh, by mjf i think you want to have like a strong baby face and i think you could certainly see that tonight like this is like we're not going to position adam cole as who's getting one up on or, or getting one upped by MJF. It's like, this guy is ahead of the game. Does he know that he knows that he knows that he knows <laughs> as way put it? Well, I mean, he, he won't be the buffoon baby face because Adam Cole's true nature is that of a heel much in the same way of MJF. I mean, MJF was influenced by Adam Cole. So, you know, this is a guy who knows exactly the MJF playbook and he's going to do his best to navigate it with the glimpses they've shown of like Cole, basically like respecting or at least like wanting to join in on MJF. Like, you know, with the, with the doing getting leverage for the abdominal stretch and whatnot shows that he's like trying hard not to like this guy because they are similar people. Um, how are they going to turn that into like a rivalry? You know, how are they going to make these two hate each other so much after this? And how are they going to do it while maintaining Cole's edge, which really was the missing ingredient I thought in the first few first month of his babyface run with with Chris Jericho. Um, it, it'll be interesting, and I have a lot of faith in, in them being able to let, stick the landing. We have a super chat here from Jordan Stovra, who sends $14 Canadian. Thank you so much, Stovra, for the uh, generous super chat. He says, Jordan from Saskatoon says, next week might be the biggest wrestling show since MVP wrestled at the Highland Curling Club in 2015. I don't, I don't know if it'll exceed that, but it's pretty big. I hope my province proves the negative comments I have seen wrong. Um, are there what, have, what have the negative comments been? Are, are people sliding Saskatoon? Come on. Uh, kind of unfair. I mean, Saskatoon is not a, a, a TV city, so I, you don't really have a, a, a existing opinion to base Saskatoon on. In terms what are tickets of out so Do you know? Well, for Regina, they were not doing uh, great. We can uh, well, Let's pull up uh, WrestleTix here and see what the latest is on Saskatoon. Um Edmonton tonight was almost at 6,000, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, 5,500 tickets distributed. So that's a, that's a healthy for, dynamite for crowd. Uh, for next week, 
I'm scrolling here, looking. Um, Regina's at fifteen hundred. That's for collision next uh, for for this coming Saturday. Are you surprised it's that low? Yeah. Um, is that what, what's the most recent update? That yeah. was okay. The last update for Saskatoon was twenty three hundred. That was on July second. So, I mean, it's it, these are not huge numbers in Saskatoon. Okay. They're both under three thousand at this point. I hope they sound lively on TV. At least yeah, we we will see. This is a this is a sizable uh, undertaking. I think Jordan from Canadian Saskatoon court. needs to tell all of his friends to go to help fill this arena, yes. bring his family, and, and that wraps the Canadian tour with Calgary on the Saturday, and then they go back to the U.S. for blood and guts. Their return to the United States. All right. Well, thanks for the super chats. Thank you for the feedback. Uh, again, we have uh, plenty up on the Post Wrestling Cafe. Rewind away a review from Karen and Bruce covering the Independence Day cards from New Japan Strong and more to come this week with Rewind to Smackdown on Friday night at 10 Eastern and Collision Course with John Ceno and Kate from Montreal, who will uh, they will bring the takes this coming weekend. So check out that as they will be reviewing Punk versus Joe. You can support us at postwrestlingcafe.com, video.postwrestling.com. And if you want to jump in on the G1 fun, it is postwrestling.com slash G1, free to enter the contest. Get your picks in before July the 15th, and we will be doing coverage of each and every G1 card with our block of capable hosts uh, that we will be having cover each and every show and block and match as we push the limits of what is doable in the summer of 2023. We'll find out. Okay. That's it for us. Thank you to all. And we will speak with you later this week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.